I said. Okay, so I'm recording. Oh, okay. we are? I'm just, I just started. <laughs> I didn't catch your okay, comments. I'm sorry. Okay, let me, get, <laughs> let me get serious on. Oh my gosh, I can hear through both. You can? Yeah. Uh, oh. Yeah. What did you do? I have no idea. Okay. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I love my That's Saturday afternoon. I don't so give a shit. Funny. I love Saturday afternoons. Okay. Fuck it. I love like getting into That's this hilarious. shit. Oh my gosh. I feel like the, the heavens just opened up <laughs> or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the Bad and Bitchy Podcast. I'm Erin. And I'm Erica. Erica, I've missed you. I've missed you too. And Erica. Amy's sick today. Aww. It was going to be our first podcast with the three of us in a while. Summer schedules, my friend, and summer sickness too. Seriously. Yeah. Um. So how has your week been? I think I would say, so we had the provincial election this week, and then I had, I met with somebody who opened my eyes to all sorts of possibilities so i it was bittersweet this week Mm. let's put it that way yeah i agree Mm -hmm. yeah i i definitely agree with that um you know i came back from bc on monday and how was the wedding it was wonderful it was beautiful oh it didn't rain like we it didn't rain it was actually way warmer than i thought Mm. so that was great um i came back from vancouver and came into like a very hectic week at work with other things going on um so it was very busy and then just very emotional with the provincial election and you know a bunch of other things that had happened over the course of the week and so it was long and exhausting and draining but i did go see oceans eight last night did you really yes bailey and i went to go see it Uh uh-huh loved it really recommend okay uh very fun Mm -hmm. so go see it um how was rihanna she was good i guess okay i mean she was fine like she didn't she didn't like fuck up okay but there is i i don't hear her speak very often Mm -hmm. and so there's just one part where she's on the phone with her sister and i'm like i don't know what you're saying (laughs) her accent is so thick i'm like i don't know what just happened i was i was wondering if they were going to um, try to americanize her no oh good Oh, good. I do wonder if they tried and they're like, this isn't going to happen. (laughs) So shout out to the West Indians out there. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And Aquafina was hilarious. And she's going to be in Crazy Rich Asians in August. So very excited to see her in that. Awesome. Yeah. So let's get into it, Erica. This week in feminism, I think it's about time. Well, not about time. I think we need to talk about sex in the city. And Sex in the City celebrated its 20th anniversary this week. And, you know, Sex in the City has kind of always been part of the conversation with regards to feminism because a lot of people ask, well, when we talk about shows that we loved in the past, we always ask, oh, does it hold up? How does it, like, Friends definitely doesn't hold up. I didn't like that show when it was out. I didn't like it right after. I hated that show. 
and everybody treats it like it's funny and i'm just like it's not that funny like it doesn't make me laugh yeah but then you've got like seinfeld which does hold up yes seinfeld seinfeld is hilarious number one and number two it does it kind of did foreshadow sort of like a generational attitude i feel yeah it definitely i think influenced a lot of our generation for sure yeah so what was your relationship with sex in the city i loved it when it was out because i was when it was on you watched it when it was on yeah you got hbo no (laughs) (laughs) okay let me let me put it to you this way you remember like showcase or whatever yeah 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 Yeah, they used to they after a while finally got the idea that they might want to you know Fil- they might want to show this thing but okay. like if they would show an episode like a week late yeah yeah yeah, yeah. or something like yeah. that and that's basically how i watched it okay and then whatever i didn't like see so if i think there was a time i think i started watching it in like season three or something and so then you had to go back and watch seasons one and two mm-hmm. but um i wasn't live stream well there wasn't any streaming services <laughs> then really so, yeah. Yeah, I don't remember how I started watching it. Everybody I'm, had a bootleg copy. Of I feel like I started watching it through softball at some point where, like, I was on the road and my friend had the DB- DVDs and I just, like, watched them there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it was it was great. I think I was in, what, it was 1998 or something? It started in 98, I think, yeah. In June of 98. Yeah, so, I mean... I, d- I didn't watch it when it was on because I was, what, 13? <laughs> so. <laughs> Fair. Um, but I definitely watched it in, in college. Um, loved it. And uh, we always, there was always the conversation and the debate, and it's still an ongoing debate of which character you were. Same as any show. You know, were you a Phoebe or Rachel or a Monica? Were you a, a Chandler? Are you a George are you a Jerry an Elaine? You know, I don't know. So then it was always, are you a Miranda, Charlotte, uh, Carrie, or Samantha? Erica, which one were you? Or which one did you want to be? I feel like is a better question. Here's the thing. Um, <laughs> I realize now I don't fit any of them. Mm-hmm. Um. But I think I always wanted to be kind of like Samantha. Kind of because she gave no fucks? Yeah. But have the life of Charlotte? Because I'm sorry, Charlotte Charlotte had like no money worries in the world. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I never wanted to be like Miranda. And I think that that was because Miranda wasn't femme enough for me. Mm. And I was really into the fashion. Right. So, like, I couldn't go makeup shopping with Miranda, for example. Right. Yeah. Fair. Um, Yeah, I would say that I thought that I was probably more of a Carrie. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Just because I was into fashion and I loved writing and I kind of just liked her bohemian kind of laissez-faire approach to life um i don't think that i was actually like her at all (laughs) in retrospect um but uh yeah i think um 
I think in some parts <laughs> I wanted to be like Carrie in a way that be, in the way that you want to be closer to the apex of what beauty is in North America. Mm. And I think that Carrie represented that. And so even though like I, I would obviously never be a Carrie, but the idea that she had this beauty privilege is I think what um, I kind of wanted right. on some level. As a kid, like as some in my younger self. Yeah. So uh, Cynthia Nixon actually wrote a piece for Refinery29 this week. And she says, said that, uh, you know, when the show first aired, one thing became very quickly clear. And that was that no one wanted to be a Miranda. You know, she was. I have more to say on that because I I think that. We'll get there. Yeah. Okay. Because I kind of, that's what I opened the door to. Okay, go on. So. Miranda was very unglamorous. She, you know, was a lawyer. She wore suits that were stiff and cliched. Her hair color was very garish. She kind of had tacky style and jewelry. Um, though she did have, like, very positive traits. Like, she was very passionate. She was very loyal. She was a good friend. And smart as a whip. Yes. Yeah. Um, she, was, she worked hard for her accomplishments and was well-respected from them. Um, but she never came across as fun you know we all have someone who we like we like hanging out with them when they're a good friend but we wouldn't necessarily view them as being fun and sometimes I think I'm that friend <laughs> um and so being a Miranda was like someone who was kind of uptight was a type a person yeah. they were very career driven very ambitious and they were probably like a killjoy yeah, feminist killjoy. I feel like that's what Miranda's yeah. um, character was. Yeah, so uh, Cynthia Nixon continues saying that she, when she first started playing Miranda, she felt that she had nothing in common with her. But then as she grew into the role and they grew together, she said that she realized that she had more in common with Miranda than she actually thought. Um, that Miranda kind of had, kind of got the short end of the stick in her career. She dealt with mansplaining. She you know, was catcalled and sexually harassed in her job and didn't have anywhere to, like, really share our, her stories like we do now that we have platforms, we have social media. I mean, if you're in Ottawa, you can just throw up some posters. Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, ouch, I caught that one. <laughs> mm. um, but uh, the reality is, is that we think about Miranda differently now because – the sex in the city generation is older. We're adults. We're more established. We pay taxes. We're less aspirational about who we want to be because we are already those people. And as we've seen with Cynthia Nixon's um, run for governor of New York, everyone wants to be Miranda now. Everyone wants to be a grown up who's got their shit together and has a good career and has a loyal loving partner like steve and just be a grown-up and that's basically what she says is that it's time to be a grown-up and that's what miranda is i'm tired of all these people who look like they fucking that who are a hot mess trying to do like i don't even know what they're trying to do well and she actually says that she's like if you think about it like 
Carrie was a mess. She couldn't. She was a she hot didn't mess. Have her shit together. Yeah. Her love life was. I don't want to say in shambles, but it was always like in a state of disarray. Um, she was irresponsible with money and all of these things. Mm-hmm. And how can we want to aspire to be? How can that be someone that we want to aspire to be? Exactly. Samantha had her shit together. Yes. And. But I feel like Charlotte was like the lost little girl who wanted to be taken care of all the time, mm-hmm. who didn't have her shit together because she didn't have to. Yeah. You know? And and that's, thank you. Thank you. The grownups are in the room. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Because have you seen what fuckery does to the world? Yeah. Like, come on. I, I totally agree that, she, like, I would like to talk a little bit about Miranda because you're right. Miranda was the, the feminist killjoy and um, who would call people out for, I remember that cat calling mm-hmm. like episode and, um, and how she called out the construction worker yeah. so much so that she embarrassed him. It was, it was epic. It was great. And um, in fairness, like that's not the reality. The guy would just tell you to shut the fuck up. Yeah, you're done whore. yeah, yeah, exactly. But I think um, the idea of her not being messed with, mm-hmm. you know, um, I just carry to me. Um, Carrie, to me, you're right, was, like, not only a hot mess, but she was, like, this deer in the headlights, I don't know what's going on hot mess. Mm-hmm. And there was, like, this this whininess about her and this entitlement to her messiness. If we were going to bring her into the modern era, we would, she would be the person who's like, I don't know how to adult. Yeah. Yeah, nothing's so hard. Yes, exactly. And I think looking back, that's what bothers me about Carrie, and that's why I don't want watch reruns. It's because like she was just so willfully blind to so many things. She was basically ignorant, and ignorance is not something that, at my age or our age, I'm interested in. Right. Like I don't want to be ignorant about the world or how taxes work. Or how to do my taxes, even. I want to be self-sufficient. But she was sold as this free spirit. Yeah. And I'm like, no, she was just a hot mess. Yeah. And she used... And the reason she could be a hot mess and still succeed is because she had beauty privilege. She had white woman beauty privilege. Mm -hmm. She was the blonde. She was blonde. She was tiny. Um, She was... Uh, you know, she was a. She could walk the halls of Vogue, yeah, and and the structure of Vogue because she fit in there so well. Mm-hmm. And so it's so funny because when she got the Vogue job, I and she was like, "Oh my god, I don't know how I did that." I'm like, "Yeah, really." <laughs> and but then I was like, "You look exactly like somebody who would work there." Work there, and there was this sort of ignorance to that on the part of the show Mm. and as much as it tried to be sort of feminist i think it really ignored those things so we've talked about charlotte always wanting to be taken care of we talked about how 
Miranda was the feminist killjoy. We've talked about how... And the least attractive one by beauty standards, by the way. Yes. So I think that combination is really interesting. Uh, we talk about how Carrie is a hot mess, how Samantha gives no fucks and was also very self-sufficient. Yeah. So that all leads me to ask, was the show actually feminist? Well, it wasn't diverse. I could tell you that. They, Which is a separate issue. Yeah, but, you know, they... Okay, so in the feminist... I Okay, but let me say this. I thought they treated Samantha's black boyfriend like he was some sort of... of um, uh, like, like something you bring back on from an African safari, yeah, 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 like a trophy or something. Yeah. It's and like it's it like all just, those people on Ninety Day Fiance. Yeah, Let's it's be real. just awful. Which I is a show that it's I love. like. I have a black boyfriend. Oh, he's black. Ooh, he's black. And you're just like, oh, you know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> and you're just like, you know, for all your push towards feminine, it it was very white feminist. That. That's what Sex in the City was. Mm. It introduced the concept of feminism strictly from a white, privileged, um, cosmopolitan, coastal experience. And I'm not sure. I think it opened up a whole lot of conversations, but I'm not sure that it led women to the promised land. Yeah, I don't I don't disagree with that. I think that. We have to. People always talk about whether or not the show is feminist, as they do with many shows. Yeah. And, or um, a characters even. And I think we have to realize that for its time, it probably was. Yeah. It was very progressive for the time. And it's like when I watch like very old movies and, you know, I saw some, some movie like several months ago. And all of the Mexican characters were played by white people in brown face. And it made me deeply uncomfortable. But it was the reality was that they weren't going to hire Mexicans in like the 1920s or the 1930s or 40s. So, you know, I had to live with my own discomfort, but recognize that like the times have changed. Our expectations have changed. And the same is with this. Like we expect better from our shows now. We expect them to represent the world we actually live in and you know all a lot of shows that in 1998 only had white people in them mm. yeah even as like side characters you know ross dated an asian girl and a black woman and that that was it yeah there's a lot of fetishized fetishization yeah in yeah tokenism too yeah and tokenism for yeah. sure yeah yeah so, one of the big things that Sex and the City did was it introduced sex into TV. And it in- introduced female empowerment in sex onto TV. So, did it actually revolutionize anything? I still think it fell along the lines of women you could have it all trope and I'm not sure that that's true for anybody at least not at the same time anyway so I feel like okay for me watching it it set these expectations that I should be like a star in bed right and it didn't really talk about 
the its idea of exploring sexuality i felt like dis dis it wasn't disengaging it was and it wasn't discomforting it was just like i'm not there is this the expectation i felt mm. like if it set these expectations about being a rock star in bed for women in a way that would not necessarily keep a man, but at least attract the right man. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I didn't measure up to that. Interesting. Um, if you want me to be perfectly honest, actually, this is interesting because I never thought about it, like sat down and thought about this before. But yeah, if I were to be perfectly honest. And that's just kind of like strictly, more strictly speaking from like Samantha talking about her exploits. No, Carrie too, hmm. you know, and them talking about like anal and them talking about giving blowjobs and, and, um, I remember the, 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 the vaginal exercises and I was like overwhelmed. <laughs> I was just like, Oh my God. Like I felt like everybody else was so much more advanced than me. Right. And I felt like really weird about that. So that's my sort of what huh. I took from it. Yeah, I don't know that that was my takeaway. I felt like it was just interesting and kind of almost revolutionary to see women talking about sex so openly on TV and like getting into fairly graphic detail with their girlfriends Mm -hmm. because we see men do it all the time in movies and on TV shows. Yeah. And so to see women doing it, to use the same graphic nature was was very interesting although i'm the reality is is like i don't think that many men talk about sex in that way not around yeah like like it's a certain type of person it's a certain type of man yeah for sure yes yeah um so yeah i think it was that i don't want to (laughs) know yes i fully endorse that yeah um but yeah i don't think that it was i didn't feel inadequate by like what they were talking about i was like oh so erica I can't help but wonder whether the blueprint to women achieving gender equality is to actually adopt male characteristics and behavior. Sorry, I had to ask it like Carrie would. <laughs> so I was thinking. <laughs> hmm. Um, I think, like, I believe somebody said earlier <laughs> that... Um, or you said off mic, you said uh, it's the only blueprint blueprint we have. Yes. And I think you're totally right about that. So, and it's funny, like when you said that, I was like, well, of course women, that would be the first sort of crack at achieving equality. Um, I think nowadays, though, we have sort of, through social media, have been able to see how different people achieve different things. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not always by behaving like men. Yeah. It can be, it's not always um, the Hillary Clinton type um, idea or look or approach, which I think is more um, second gen or second wave feminism. Uh, the baby boomers who are like, well, you know, in order to be successful, we have to be 
this, that, and the other characteristic, mm-hmm. which are tra- traditionally male characteristics. Yes. I think nowadays you have more freedom to write your own script mm-hmm. because there are just so many more types of people out there yeah. and that are and that we see. So um, if you, so let me, Janet Mock is a good example. She kind of, I mean, what we think of femme and woman, and she's challenging those traditional ideas. And I think the more people who challenge those ideas and sort of quote unquote make it, it it opens up an idea that there isn't one blueprint and that I would say probably self-awareness is probably the number one thing and how you, how do and the person you want to be and how you want to see yourself Mm -hmm. is more, okay, so I can now construct that my own sort of personal ideal and take it into the boardroom or whatever to, to complete my goals, Mm -hmm. I guess. It's more like individual goal setting, I would think. Yeah. So I, I the reason I said that uh, there were no other blueprints other than the one made by men is because I, I thought about Hillary Clinton and how when people said like, oh, like she um, tried to be aloof and she showed no emotion and it wasn't able to connect with people. And a lot of that criticism said was that it's because she was trying to emulate what it looked, what our expectation of running for president is. And that expectation was set by men because until Hillary Clinton, no female had had the nomination of a major party. Um, but that's probably how she she made it through life. That's yes. probably how she lived sure, her life. Sure, absolutely. So she was already programmed she was, for yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and we see this all the time when we hear about women CEOs or women in high profile positions is like they are cutthroat. They're a bitch. They're, you know, Martha Stewart. Yeah. yeah. They, they don't show emotion. They put their career first, much like Miranda. And they, that's how they get ahead is that they forgo all of those other traditionally female characteristics. Right. And I think this just goes to show the importance of female networking within a company or an organization because you need those mentoring opportunities for women by women. I will say that I experienced that this week. Um, so I, so as an aside, um, I have a sort of person who I talk to, but like he's male, right? So it's, it's kind of different. So he put me in touch with somebody else and I like we talked and I was just like, oh, this is what oh, this is what mentoring is like. Oh, <laughs> I, like I felt like I felt that that my as I said at the top there, my my idea of me and what was possible was widened and 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 just enlarged because of her mm-hmm. and because of what she saw in me the first at our first meeting yeah we that's how people get ahead in in life um most people get ahead because somebody kind of plucked them somebody of a of a higher sort of 
um, level, plucked them, saw something in them, plucked them, and then groomed them and helped them along. Um, I found when I was working in government that that didn't happen, for me anyway. Mm -hmm. So in one way, like the fact that I'm, all my thoughts and my ideas about, you know, communication, branding, and life and so on were validated in like one conversation. Whereas before it was seen as a weakness. And so I think that we all need, and that's when I, so going back to this blueprint, Mm -hmm. because I didn't follow the blueprint, I never got access to that mentorship. And which is good because then they would have just tried to mentor me into the the blueprint. But because, you know, somebody saw um, that sort of the fact that I wasn't like everybody else to say that that is valuable and your thoughts are valuable and, and just lead by your opinion kind of thing. I was just like, I was floored. I was just like, it's something that I needed. And so it goes back to kind of building your own idea of what you think um, of the person you want to be and how you want to conduct yourself. I think that's what we see more now rather than in the sex in the city days. And I think that's more freeing for women because we cannot build uh, a feminist blueprint in my opinion. It leaves a lot of people out. It's just going to inevitably leave a lot of people out. So this week it was announced that Miss America would be getting rid of its bathing suit portion of the pageant. So by striking out this bathing suit portion, it changes Miss America from a pageant to a competition, which I would like to add is the dumbest shit I've ever heard of because it's a competition. Like a competition is a pageant. Like you're just changing the name. I think I'm going to comment on everybody's comms from now on. Like, like <laughs> everybody's communications from now on. I'm just going to be like, what the fuck? Like in a pageant, you're competing against people. It's splitting Therefore, hairs. making it a competition. It is splitting hairs. And whoever came up with this sort of like press release, I, I don't even know. Uh, it's just it's just bad. It's just really, really bad. It makes them look... The problem with America, Miss America is it looks out of touch and old in 1950s in a 2018 world. Well, so Gretchen Carlson, the chairwoman of Miss America's board of directors, says, quote, we will no longer judge our candidates on their outward physical appearance. That's huge, end quote. She continued saying that the new Miss America competition will be more inclusive to, quote, all shapes and sizes. So in place of the swimsuit contest, the contestants will take part in a live interactive session with the judges, which is according to a statement from the Miss America organization, where, quote, she will highlight her achievements and goals in life and how she will use her talents, passion, and ambition to perform the job of Miss America. Wasn't she on Fox News? Gretchen Carlson? Tucker Carlson. No, 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 man. Uh, Gretchen Carlson was... I'm sorry. I just have to put in this aside. She was one of the women who... um, 
who filed a lawsuit. She filed a lawsuit against Roger Ailes for oh, maybe. sexual yeah, harassment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She and that was settled for twenty million. Yes, she was on. Oh, that's where I know that name from. Okay, so she was a Fox News um, anchor, pundit, or whatever. No, not a pundit. Morning show Fox and Friends. Okay, so she was on Fox and Friends. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, that puts a nice little (sighs) lens to it. So she's the chairwoman of the Miss America Board of Directors. Well, now this is interesting. (laughs) So... What do you think about it? Like, I think that this is the right call, particularly, like you said, Erica, you know, Miss America is such an antiquated idea in the first place, which is my general opinion of all pageants. Um, And so how do we keep this quote unquote tradition, but like modernize it? I guess it's getting rid of the swimsuit competition. Okay, so. I think that that's splitting hairs from a pageant to a competition, like you said. Um, We will no longer judge our candidates on their outward physical appearance. Okay, so are they getting rid of the evening gown competition? Are they? Yeah, right. Are they... um, What what are they going to do? Like, I don't understand how you have judges in the audience judging women... And they're going to be judged on their, they're no longer going to be judged on their physical appearance, but they're basically tap dancing for judges anyway. I don't understand. Yeah. Are we interviewing them for something? Is it like, I don't get it. Is Miss America, I would like to know, is Miss America still a gateway to the halls of power somehow? I I I don't don't think so. I don't know. Like, you know, there, there's, you know, they it, do a lot of philanthropic stuff. Okay, but like you can do that by being a volunteer. I don't understand the value add. Yeah, that's no, my don't. that's my problem. Take part in a live interaction. What what is an interactive session with judges? I don't know because like they always had to answer questions at the end. They're like, oh, like what do you what do you want for the world? I want world peace. Hmm. So what they have to know. Sorry that they have to think like I don't. Yeah, I I just think I don't know how they could make Miss America. They can't do these changes around the edges and then, you know, pretend like it's coming into the 20, 21st century because it's not like I get that they're removing it because we're now in this era with the me too thing where like we don't want to sexualize people and harass them they probably got dragged on twitter for many years before this happened i'm sure absolutely unless they change the criteria in which they vote on people vote on people this sounds so awful exactly um doesn't this sound like like then there's no way that anything is going to change because it's a systemic thing you can make it more accessible for um women who aren't a size two or a size zero and that doesn't mean that the judges are going to like them they're going to be put off because they'll be like they don't fulfill their like traditional standard of beauty and fuck them and these all shapes and sizes i'm not sure like what that means and i'm not sure (laughs) oh god i feel like 
I feel like this is a big fail, not because the intent isn't there, but because the people who are running the organization really don't get why the organization is failing. And they they do on a certain level, like they understand the words that are coming out of people's mouths. Yeah. But they don't know how to translate that into the Miss America brand. Mm. And um, I don't know either, except I would say... I would say that they have to start with a different premise. Yeah. They're so, trying to be innovative by staying within the same structure. Right. So I would say I would start with finding women who are making change, to be honest, and maybe not call it Miss America anymore. Maybe mm. call it something else. It's okay. You yeah. can change the brand. Right. You know? And by the way, can we talk about this this tweet here? Their their promotional tweet, hashtag Bye Bye Bikini. Yeah. So part of the announcement uh, of the removal of the swimsuit competition was a video on Twitter with a white bikini going up in smoke and the hashtag Bye Bye Bikini. Yeah, but it says Miss America 2.0, and I was just like. Web 2.0 was a long time ago. And I feel like that's where they got it from, which just which just adds to the notion that they're still antiquated. Yeah, they'd be more in line saying reboot. Like, right. That's the the modern vernacular. Exactly. You don't use 2.0. Like, oh, my God, I can't even. Okay, they they really need to to really change. They need to change everything, the format. They need to change what constitutes greatness because that's really what they're judging. What does a what does the ideal woman look like? Because it sure as hell they've been failing on what she sounds like. Mm. I don't even know how they choose these women, like Miss America. How? I I just no, no. <laughs> Her talents, passion, and ambition. To perform the job of Miss America. Does anybody know what the job of Miss America is? It's a figurehead. Okay. Look pretty. Read a speech. Done. And this, actually, this goes to all this women's empowerment um, um, branding that's going around, by the way. Because, you know, good for you. How Give a speech. I get it. Fine. Okay good but there's a lot of these women's empowerment branding sessions that are just a load of bullshit (laughs) and i feel like miss america is queen of that Mm. like let's empower women because that's what they that's what they tried to do sure they tried to use it as some empowerment session and i'm just like um to do what yeah like To, to what end to what end you know Let's get women together and and be empowered. And really, it's a load of nothing. I I really I on one of these days I'm going to I'm going to come up with a rent and receipts on this women's empowerment, this girl boss run like a girl bullshit. Wait for it, because I'm I'm really noticing this, especially in business, and a lot of it is women saying nothing. Mm. Okay. They're not extending themselves. 
they're just telling you uh, either how great they are and how great you can be too without giving you any type of support or connection or anything like that, which is just a load of bullshit. Anyway, next. (laughs) On that note, so you will remember, I'm sure, about that little fucker Brock Turner. (laughs) So just as a recap, Brock Turner was the Stanford athlete who was found by some foreign students at on campus sexually assaulting a woman behind a dumpster who was basically incapacitated drunk. Um, he was convicted of sexual assault and of sexual assault and attempted rape. Um, and the judge sentenced him to six months in jail which was much less than the six years the prosecution was asking for. So it ended up that uh, Brock Turner served just three months of his sentence, which, you know, there was an outcry with him only receiving six months in the first place, and then even further outcry for him only serving three months. Um, So this release and this whole situation prompted state lawmakers to pass a mandatory minimum sentence for sexual assault offenders and to close a loophole in the state's sexual assault law that allowed offenders whose victims were unconscious to escape prison time. Um, So in California, and I'm not sure if it's across all states, there's this thing called a recall campaign where you can, I guess it seems like vote as a referendum on recalling a judge from um, being a judge. So I guess they, they are no longer a judge. And so the judge for Brock Turner, Aaron Persky was actually recalled from office this week, two years after the sentencing of Brock Turner. So, uh, roughly 60% of voters in Santa Clara County in Northern California uh, cast ballots in favor of removing Persky, which would make which made him the first California judge to be recalled from the bench in 86 years, which is crazy. Um, and so this, I, I, there's a, I have a lot of, a lot of thoughts on this. Um, many legal scholars um, rallied to Persky's defense, arguing that the ousting of a sitting judge would have dangerous implications for judicial independence and lead jurists to hand down much harsher sentences in an effort to avoid public outrage. Um, but then, of course, there are advocates who are promote or were pushing for for the recall. Um, he, yeah, yeah. Erica, what are your thoughts? This is why we vote. Mm. And this is why we get involved, and this is why we volunteer our time, and this is why we organize. Yeah. I think, it, I think it's worth, worth pointing out that the recall campaign didn't just use the Brock Turner incident as part of their, their reasoning. They went back through many other cases where the judge was overly accommodating to offenders in sexual abuse and domestic violence cases, one in which he sentenced a man who pleaded no contest to felony domestic violence 
and gave the offender more than a year's reprieve from punishment so that he could attend the University of Hawaii to play football. I, I feel like I remember that one. Yeah. And, you know, we've had many incidents here in Canada, although um, I don't I don't know how we would remove. I don't know that process. Mm-hmm. And if Amy were here, I'm sure she could fill us in. But um, this is why I always say and I was saying to somebody like I was saying to an MP this week, I said, you know, you have the platform, but we do the work. And if you really want to change things, you're going to have to take down some of those barriers to entry and access to you Mm -hmm. and actually talk to the people doing the work. Because this is what it seems to me what happened is that you had a grassroots momentum and then you had somebody with expertise who could go through um, the law journals or whatever or the or his case history, because I'm pretty sure access to case histories or, or the details of that are not necessarily public, right? Mm-hmm. And you had to have a team of people who would go through that and actually create and make and 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 put together a cohesive statement or argument or or um body of uh, or an argument to to push that forward everybody had their role and it didn't come from necessarily one person I'm pretty sure it came from many many hands so when I say like build a community and organize and stuff like that that's what I mean because and if these politicians these women politicians really want to do something then they will support those measures because I'm hearing a lot of fucking talk from them Mm -hmm. and I'm seeing no action. You can't even get an email back from them or a phone call back from them. And yet they want to talk about, Oh, well I don't understand why this is happening. I don't understand why we have so much harassment. I don't, everybody's so, you know, this and that. And I'm like, well, what are you going to do about it? Cause the answer isn't necessarily legislative either. Yep. The answer is getting out and fucking doing something. And the people who are, are not getting that support. Yeah. So what I found really interesting about this was the fact that uh, state lawmakers passed mandatory minimum sentences for sexual assault cases. And it kind of goes counter to what Democrats largely want generally. Like they're trying to reduce mandatory minimums because they don't work right and they overcrowd prisons and it's very expensive on the government and um trump's uh, attorney general jeff sessions is like a totally in favor of mandatory minimums for everything except this no not except this okay 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 i thought but like democrats just more and more progressive people don't want mandatory minimums so it's it's interesting to me that a democratic state legislature passed mandatory minimums for this specific case just to counter the balance between judges making poor i guess judgments yeah because i don't think that like locking up a sex offender uh, isn't gonna make them less of a sex offender 
it's going to take them off the streets for a period of time. They're not going to be able to assault or abuse anyone, but they're going to get pissed. They're going to get angry. And when they're going to come back out and it's going to be again, like, yeah, it's not solving the problem. And I saw some conversation this week on Twitter amongst Canadian feminists saying like, you know, someone was advocating for restorative justice models for um, sexual assault cases to kind of start having people understand what their actions feel like for for the survivor and try to understand where their behavior comes from. And some people were like, no, like they just need to go to prison. I will say that I will I will even add in this that we are more open to nuanced ways of thinking about crime when the criminals are white. Yeah. So because it's the Brock Turners and the and the dudes going to hockey in Canada and or playing football in Hawaii, we are more open to talk about restorative justice. If these were a bunch of black guys, who were mostly doing these things, especially to white women, we would not be talking about restorative justice. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, Southern Black for Indigenous, for example. I mean, that would never happen. We would never be talking about restorative justice if if, if it was a bunch of Indigenous dudes raping white women. Are you kidding? No. 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 Even touching them weirdly? No. So let's also remember who... Who gets access to these types of yeah different programs? Yeah, and who gets the nuanced version, basically? Yeah, because if a whole bunch of white kids went to prison, it's it's everything. It's the opioid epidemic too. All of yeah. a sudden, we want to save these white kids. You know what? I I'm not I'm not sure. I agree with you. I think we we do better. We know better, so we do better. And restorative justice. Um, is a model that should be applied first let's let's apply it to people who are already caught up in the system because of systemic issues Mm -hmm. i i don't know how i feel about dudes who have gotten every break in life really getting access to sympathetic ways of looking at justice i i really it kind of makes me angry to be honest because let's be honest, people of color had to suffer for these kinds of ideas to pop up, and we don't get the benefit of it. Now we're moving on to rent and receipts. This is where we each bring a topic to share with the other and basically just kind of rant about it and then say why we think it's important. So I'm going to go first. So after, actually, when I talked about the Brock Turner thing, just in the last segment, I was talking about affecting change and um, how that can, that the Brock Turner incident was um, a result of people organizing. So my rent and receipts is about, celebrity and it's from very smart brothers which is like a site i keep like going back to all the time and it's written by this guy panama jackson i really like it yeah so um 
it says the title is the quickest and easiest way to affect change be famous so basically it 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 uses the kim kardashian story about alice johnson and going to the white house as a premise for um affecting real change and having that discussion about celebrity so this is what he says a few months back i had the opportunity to speak at the university of california berkeley about identity politics and public policy i was asked at one point what i thought the best way to make a difference was in the world it's a pretty lofty question and it is generally met with platitudes about being the change you want to see and advocating to the best of your ability and generally caring my answer though become famous yes i truly believe and i think there are plenty of examples that show that the path toward access and ear and ears of the general populace is through fame we live in a society that values celebrity to a great measure that's what celebrity does it can get you in a room where people will listen to you for no other reason than your celebrity so i guess um first of all I think he's correct, but I would expand that to say become recognizable for the change you want to see. I think that's the nuance of it, in my opinion. So I will always advocate becoming a brand of that change um, and building that brand and then getting into those spaces. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I think that having a principled stance so that people know what your values are is very valuable. And I think that I'm, f I'm personally starting to see the benefit of that yeah. um, from this podcast and from other activist things that I'm involved in. And so that that's benefited me and I'm can be looked at as a quote unquote expert yeah. on like certain topics um, and so someone who's an actual celebrity is able to affect so much more change because of their place that they hold. They have a platform, a wide platform of a wide number of people. Yeah. But like, this is what, so I commented on Facebook this past week be, as a follow up to the discussion that you and Amy had yeah. regarding, uh, Kim Kardashian and Alice Johnson. Yes. And I think on the one hand, it's a great that Kim was able to affect this change and change this woman's life and her family's and amazing, awesome. But on the other hand, Kim Kardashian gave an interview to Mike.com in which she said, oh, she's suddenly like very interested in prison reform and there's a lot of injustice in, in prisons and sentencing. And so... She now wants to help, if she can, one person a year. Helping one person a year is not prison reform. No, it's not. It's helping one person a year. It's affecting change to a very, very micro, micro, micro set of individuals. It is not reforming an entire system that I affects millions of people 
I think that what Kim Kardashian is doing is parallel to certain marketing trends. Mm. So I really pay attention to marketing trends, obviously, because I kind of have a business on it. (laughs) And um, the marketing trend is Mm micro-influencing. And this type of, you know, to go more niche in your marketing. And I feel like that's what Kim Kardashian is doing, is she's she's an influencer. She's influencing um, sort of like the, uh, the criminal justice system in a very small way to build credibility for her brand. Oh, absolutely. And that's different from making change. Yes. So I think we have to be careful about the intention and so that we are fully aware of the expectations of the results of that intention. Yes, I fully agree with you that this is about buying her some legitimacy. Yeah, especially with black people. Yes. Yeah. I will. Yeah, especially since her fam's been throwing up the L's. Yeah. Yeah. I think what bothers me is that she's doing it under the guise of something bigger which is disingenuous and if and wrong yeah it's actually not correct i think the interesting part is for anybody who would be like well she's using her platform to bring awareness yeah awareness only gets you so far though it doesn't get you to change and if she really wanted to change the system then she would bring on somebody like she would lift um, somebody else up, the experts up, like the Michelle Alexanders who wrote about the new Jim Crow mm-hmm. and the systemic. The Brian Stevenson. The Ryan Stevenson. The Brian. The Brian <laughs> Stevensons. <laughs> um, but you know who is advocating for prison reform? Mm. Her good friend John Legend. Really? Yeah. He is huge into pr- prison reform. Like, he advocates for it all the time. So, I don't... Maybe he helped get her interested in the... Pro- like, this... I don't want to call it a project. It's her project, yes. It's kind of a project. But maybe, yeah. Maybe he played a part in raising her awareness to the subject. Which, awesome. But, John, like, let's get it together and let her know that this is not prison reform. Yeah. Yeah. It's the Kim Kardashian makeover reform. Oh, God. By, you know. She's Kim Kardashian. She is. Yes. Basically. Fuck. So shallow as fuck (laughs) is basically it. But I I do take your point as in, like, she is able to do it because of her platform and because of who she is. That's right. Now, I think there's a way to do it. That that is more um, widespread and will actually help um, change the system for many. I think if she were really, really interested, she really would. She really would tap into people who are already doing the work and 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 really elevate them. I think the and like I, I referenced a meeting I had earlier. And I think the idea is that, okay, you have a platform. 
you can reach out to people doing the work and highlight them. Like where would where would me to be be without Toronto Broker, for example? Yeah. And um I find that I think that's where for me this article kind of stopped short. Is that okay, so what can you as a celebrity do? We're in this we're in this space where everybody can build a brand based on whatever they value and whatever they find passion in. And um, we're in a space where a lot of change will be required because it seems like we've, go- we've gone backward politically. Mm. So how do we get together and really, really use... Because basically, what if you build a community, basically what you can do is use each other's talents. Yep. And Kim Kardashian's platform is a bit is her quote unquote talent. Her fame is her talent. So you know, I really like her to exempt, for example, run a workshop or free workshops for activists trying to get their issues highlighted. That would be useful. Yeah. So I I just have one more one thing to add is that celebrity is subjective. Like. Of course, Kim Kardashian is one of the most famous people in the world, but celebrity and status happens no matter where you are. And you just have to recognize your position in your spheres of influence. And if you are able to influence people, then you are able to raise awareness to a subject. Right. And get a conversation going and be... Yeah, exactly. And sometimes it'll go ape shit. Like, sorry, pear shaped. Sometimes it'll you'll just be like, "Fuck, this conversation just went left." Like, you know what I mean? But it doesn't matter if it's. I I just think that. I think the idea of celebrity probably has to be explored, to be able to um, to talk about it making change, as as you said. There are many people who, you know, did not have to be plucked into a studio system or a music system to be famous. So now what is their responsibility in this sort of progression or progressive movement would be my sort of idea of the way of looking at this. But I think it brings up a really good point in terms of not only be famous, it's not about being famous. It's about being influential, really. That's what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, there are many famous people. Like, I didn't even know John Legend. John Legend really isn't as influential in these times as he used to be. But he's still famous. You know what I mean? And so I, I think the idea of being an influencer and, and what that means in terms of making change is one that's 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 ripe for exploration. That's my point. So my rent and receipts comes from a story based in Montreal where students at an all-girls private school in Outremont have launched a petition advocating for the freedom to not wear a bra at school. The petition had garnered more than 1,600 signatures by the time uh, the CBC had reported on it. The movement grew out of an incident that happened at the school in which According to the text of, of the petition, a student was asked to cover up because it, she wasn't wearing a bra under her shirt. The petition reads, quote, Since 
grade one, we've been told that we will be taught to be citizens of the world and that being a woman doesn't limit us. But how do these conservative approaches fit in with this? The school responded by sending a letter home to parents, um, which said that we remind you that the dress code aims above all else to establish certain guidelines. There is no mention of the wearing of undergarments. However, it is always a matter of judgment. So the story has kind of taken a left turn um, because now Helen David, the minister responsible for women's issues in Quebec, said, quote, is there a good answer, a bad answer? Personally, I am, the, I am on the side of freedom of choice, honestly. She continued saying that schools should govern themselves as they see fit, but they need to open a dialogue with students who are asking important questions. And David called the young women who launched the protest, quote, leaders with strong personalities. She says, quote, in the 1970s, women used to burn their bras and say, it's terrible. You won't tell us how to dress. And 50 years later, we're being told the same thing. These girls are really extraordinary and they are asking real questions. So, Erica, I'm fucking tired of this bullshit because I don't want people telling me how to dress in school. I absolutely agree that there should be a judgment call and there is a level of appropriateness in school, in the workplace, places where you have to be representing yourself around other people in a respectable fashion. However, schools have no idea what the fuck they're doing. School administrators are the funniest people to me. They They have no clue. It's like they've never had children. It's like they don't know. They've never been to a department store. They've never been to the mall. Because not only can girls not wear bras, but they have to wear bras, but they can't show their bra straps. Meanwhile, all the fashions for teenage girls are basically strapless shirts, spaghetti strap shirts, shirts that are halter top, shirts that have weird straps, shirts that have cutouts in the back. And that's just the style. That's the fashion. And these administrators need to go to the fucking mall on a goddamn field trip to see how difficult it is for a teenage girl to dress these days. Here's my opinion that's not going to go over very well. (laughs) I think that um, okay. I think that on the bra thing okay, first of all, how old is okay, these girls are teens? Yeah, 15, 16. Oh. Oh. That time. Mm. Yeah. So they just found out they have boobs. Well. I guess 14 would have been that. That they can use them for things, maybe. (laughs) But this is an all-girls school. Okay. Here's my thing. Exactly what you said about um, propriety in... Like, I don't want these girls growing up thinking that it's okay just to go brawless at, like, work because they were able to go brawless at school. You know what I mean? Yes. I think what the school should have done is just taught them or responded to the petition by having a discussion. And I think the discussion should have been a nuanced one where it's like, you know what? What you do on your personal time, have at her. Oh, it's a boarding school. That's why. So even outside of school, they're on school property, I guess, or something like that. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So that's where, okay. So that's where the gray area is. But if it were, if it were not a boarding school, I would say if when you're out of school, have at her, right? But when you're in school, it's an institution where a certain level of dress is expected. I know somebody's going to at me and be like, that's not right. And da, 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 da. And it's no, I, I agree with you. And I think that the dialogue should be, or should have been, I don't know if what they're planning on doing is that we talk about, okay, why don't you want to wear a bra? Because it's constricting. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, there are many different types of bras available. Right. There right. Are I'd be happy with a norm, shelf bra. Normal normal bras, like with underwire, without underwire. There are bralettes. There are sports bras. Girl, I was debating whether or not to wear a bra now. Okay. <laughs> Before you came over, I was like, do I? And then I'm like... Uh, and, and I, I don't even like, know if you are. I don't care. <laughs> so I, I am. So I was actually debating it. So I get it. It's my point. Sure. There are times when I just don't want to wear one. And sometimes I just don't. And but it's never but you're not you're not doing it to go to a meeting. Right. Exactly. And that is the particular line that I think needs to be like respected but without saying you can't do this and you can't do that. I just think it needs to be explained. Yeah, explained in a way where it's just like there is a, a societal expectation that you are presentable and taking care of yourself. That's right, because you are also trying to project a certain image that relates to competence and power. Yeah. And um, looking a hot mess does not convey confidence competence or even power or influence yeah it's not about sexualizing children no or anyone no no so it goes back to what you were just talking about creating a brand and portraying that image at all times right now when i'm here at home i don't wear a bra you yeah, know same if i'm going out to like even i may i I may not even wear it to like, I definitely don't wear it to take out the garbage or sit in my backyard or whatever. Yeah. No. But I really do think that we are getting confused with freedom and the idea of a certain level of standards and propriety. And um, the fact that it's an all girls boarding school too is kind of puts a wrench in it because you're always in school property. However, I don't think they should be forced to wear a bra outside of class time. All right. That would be my sort of suggestion. But everybody needs to have a discussion instead of the school just sending letters to parents and stuff like that. Like, I don't know why they went to like mock three or whatever when they could have just sat down and had a fucking conversation. So nobody talks anymore. You just hand out rules and that's it. And good on these girls for challenging some rules. I will give them that yeah. because this is where it starts. When you challenge the system now, you may not win it this time. You may be a little off on your challenge, but good on them. 
I think they need to be applauded for that because there are too many people out there be like trying to ad- ad- adhere to the status quo. So good, on, especially too many girls. So good on them. That's my idea. Like, honestly, I'm, I can see both sides here, but totally. I think the school is needs to get a clue and have a fucking conversation with people because what it seems like to me is that the school instead of they did the 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 cowardly thing and they didn't confront the situation so that does it for this episode follow us on social media on twitter at bad and bitchy on instagram at bad and bitchy pod on facebook.com slash bad and podcast and email us badmepod at gmail.com Bye. 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 Bye.